on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we catch up with Brisbane Lions AFLW coach Craig Stasevich, Geelong VFLW captain Beck Goring, Michael Curran from the ARFLI women's competition, and we review the AFLW practice matches with Girls Play Footy Radio's Matthew Cox. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the fourth episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018, our 95th podcast overall. And a friendly reminder, you can hear this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings from 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. And don't forget, for all the latest women's footy news, to check out our website, girlsplayfooty.com and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Girls Play Footy. To our first guest for this week, he was the coach of the minor premiers. They went through the season undefeated. Six wins and one draw. It came to grand final day at Metricon Stadium in the Gold Coast. Unfortunately, they come up a few points short against the Adelaide Crows. So they're a team on a mission to go one better to claim the AFLW flag. It's great to have on the line the coach of the Brisbane Lions AFLW team in Craig Stasevich. Craig, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. A fair bit of heat to play in last Saturday morning. 32 degrees up in Sydney for your first hit out up against the GWS Giants. Yeah, it was warm. The opposition were ready for it. We weren't at the beginning of the game, unfortunately. But um, full credit to the Giants. They've, They've recruited really well. Um, and uh, their game style was terrific, and the energy and spirit they played with was was great also. So we were up against it from the start, unfortunately. Showed a little little glimpse in the third quarter to get back into it, but um, not good enough. As we said, it's not fair, I guess, to look at that 50-point buffer on the scoreboard because you actually played five 15-minute periods instead of a standard four-quarter game, and that blowout happened in that fifth period. But also, of note, you actually went in with a fairly young forward line, uh, Conway, Howarth, and Collingwood. Yeah, they weren't all out there at the same time, but, um, yeah, it was an opportunity to um, to play one of the rookies, Gabby Collingwood, who uh, who came in and did quite well. But, yeah, they, they were quite young. Um, so yeah, we we got some game time into most of our young ones on the weekend. I think it was only Ruby Blair who didn't play um, out of that crew that's on the main list. But um, yeah, it's good good opportunity for them to to uh, have a run around. It, it for some of them that may be their only one for the year. Um, but uh, yeah, good opportunity in a in a practice game to do that. I guess that's one thing we do need to raise with the coaches because it's a side of 21 this year and a list of 30. What are you trying to do with the nine players that may be fit that don't play to, I guess, keep their match conditioning up? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Last year it was um, it was only the, the five that were dipping out on a weekly basis. Um, so you're able to get some conditioning into them around your training sessions. This year you've got nine, nine missing out. So early in the year, I think, you know, but particularly February, you're sort of relying on your conditioning staff to get some work into them. Uh, come late February, March, there are a few uh, club uh, practice games going on in the QWAFL, plus there's some Lions and Sons Academy games going on also. So we might utilise those games to, to get some, some run into the legs of a few of our people that miss out. If I can take a step back for a moment to draft day, um, you announced Jordan Zanchetta as pick number one. Um, you were obviously there with her on the day. What did that mean to her to finally get her hands on that Lions jumper after 
missing out in 2017 due to that ACL. Yeah, so without speaking for Jordan, I'm, I'm pretty sure she was um, very, very pleased and very happy and, and um, you know, relieved, I guess, that she had shared that time out. She, um, she obviously played one of those older exhibition games in 2016, I think it was, and, um, and did, did uh, quite well um, making one of those teams. So um, she would have been a shoe-in for the Lions team had she been fit. Um, this time last year, but unfortunately she went through the RICO rehab process. Um, and, you know, a bit of a shaky start also back when she started playing club footy this year. It wasn't, um, she didn't really start to fire until the finals came around, but um, saw some really good um, stuff from her on the weekend, which uh, she's progressing in a really nice direction for us. Unfortunately, the footy gods have said one in, one out. Um, Sam Virgo, who finally got to taste premiership success with Yoronga in the dying minutes of that game, did her knee. Uh, what is the status of her rehab at the moment? Yeah, so it's terrible luck for Sam to do that in the grand finals, uh, to make it all the way through the winter competition all by the last five minutes. is you know, really frustrating and um, and sad for, for everyone involved. But... Um, no, she's back into things now, and she's um, she's been very diligent with her rehab, as, as we'd expect. Um, she's got a role here to take her mind off things, helping out with a, a little bit of team management as well. Um, so, yeah, so she's constantly around the group and, and working hard to get herself back into um, playing condition, ready for, ready for next pre-season. Have you given her an off-field role at all around the club to, I guess, try and uh, keep her involved in the group, but also keep the mind off the fact that she's not out there running around? Yeah, so there were, as I mentioned, we've got that team manager role for her at the moment. So um, that's keeping her more than busy. Actually, she's seeing a side of uh, getting this team onto the park that I dare say she wouldn't have expected. Uh, um, you know, the amount of work that goes into doing that with booking of flights and apparel and accommodation and transport and all those little bits and pieces that need to be done for a travelling team. Um, they're quite. Uh, it's quite an eye opener to see the other side of the business. So, yeah, she's she's extremely busy at the moment. and um, You know, she, she's doing a great job in that capacity. As much as you've lost a star defender, you've managed to pick up a couple of good recruits in the back half. Uh, one in particular that uh, we saw calling the QWAFL Grand Final about a year and a half ago was Renee Cowan. Yeah, Renee's um, sort of a medium-tall defender, um, very athletic. Um, hits the contest very hard and, um, you know, generally knows when to go and when to stay um, as a defender. So uh, she's got a few good attributes. Um, she had a solid game on the weekend, some nice things. Um, yeah, so the, uh, our, our back, back sort of six to eight players are, have been very strong for us. And um, obviously we won't have Sam down there next year, but um, certainly Renee could be one of those people putting her hand up as a replacement. Uh, the same height as Renee, I think maybe just a centimetre shorter, but 10 years younger. Uh, you picked up Ariana Clark, um, who went as pick 15 for you in the draft. Yeah, so Ariana's, um, you know, medium-sized defender, maybe um, medium midfielder as well. Um, great leadership, really good talent, um, generally knows her decision making around the grounds generally spot on. Um, so yeah, she's a, she's another one that could um, drop into one of those defensive roles. She played there on the weekend um, and uh, chased around uh, the, the new Irish girl for GWS and 
probably had her colours lowered a couple of times, but um, Ari sort of stuck at it all day and we expect her to develop across the season. You also picked up a, a small defender who um, was in the top 10 of the 20-metre uh, sprint test at the Combine, recorded the best time in the agility test in Ruby Blair. Yeah, Ruby's um, had some stops and starts across the summer with um, a few bits and pieces. She um, she had the weekend off this weekend, but yeah, she's she's another one that's um, you know very quick, very agile, and generally makes really good decisions coming out of defence. So yeah, that's, a, that's another one that we consider for that type of role. Uh, Emma Pittman's another one that we drafted out of Coffle, who also plays cross halfback and does that very well. So yeah, we've we've got some options. Um, it's just a matter of uh, you know, how we sort of balance out on game day. And a few of those cross-sport athletes, I mean, uh, Pittman uh, represented Brisbane Raw at the W League uh, level. Plus, as well, you had, um, as, as a rookie selection, uh, former tennis player Crystal Scott, who, if I'm correct, uh, ranked in the top 100 Australian players. Yeah, Crystal's been good. I mean, obviously a natural athlete, um, but a lot of her sort of fast feet and uh, movement and reflexes around stoppages are, are first class already. So we're we're really, you know, happy that she's in the group. Um, she brings a, a very professional attitude to the group, and um, you know, we'd like to see her develop as a player across this little period. And who knows, as a rookie, she may get an opportunity. Um, but yeah, there's there's uh, a lot of improvement still left in Crystal, but there's a nice uh, athletic base to work from. How have the uh new recruits gone that you picked up through the trade period? You picked up Isabella Air and Nat Exxon uh, through that trade for Taylor Harris. Yeah, Nat, uh, Nat's going very well at the moment. Uh, she's she's had her injury concerns coming off last season where I think she broke her ankle in one of the last games playing for Carlton. So she's had a good six months of rehab to get herself um, back into playing condition and she's going very well. Played on the weekend and, and did a fine job. Um, obviously got some really good leg speed, which you can never have too much of. Um, and Ballarere is, um, she had a knee scope before Christmas, um, just to tidy up a, a few issues that she had there. She's had a long and measured sort of, uh, rehab, um, coming back into the group and she's, um, at the moment back into full training. So, um, we sort of initially had planned maybe a comeback around about round two or three. Um, but the way she's progressing, she may not be out of the question for round one, but I'll take advice from our medicos on that one. We saw in most practice games that um, what I call the A-graders for the Victorian clubs uh, and the Melbourne midfield, Carlton midfield, etc., were all given about a quarter and a half, two quarters each. Did you go with the same approach with the likes of Zilke, Bates, McCarthy, etc.? Were they just given limited game time? A little bit, yeah. We had them sharing quarters, so they're only playing sort of seven and a half minutes each each quarter so I guess you know that adds up across the day to you know whatever that is 30 30 to 40 minutes worth of footy um, so you know we, we were pleased that we were able to get that much into them they were rotating on and off the ground so they weren't spending time on the ground outside of the midfield um, so those sort of things um, you know might be different come round one but um, yeah we, we just wanted to get uh, an amount of game time into those players and, and uh, you know and uh, go go with a rotational strategy uh, once we get into the season proper. Now, as we mentioned earlier, um, uh, you lost Taylor Harris through the trade period to Carlton. Uh, as much as she didn't add too much to the scoreboard for you, her contested marks gave you a focal point to aim at at uh, deep forward or centre-half forward. 
Um, what's your theory going into this year? Have you found uh, the ideal uh, replacement for her, or are you looking at a completely different game plan? Um, not necessarily a like-for-like replacement because there's just not that many of them in the competition. But um, we've got enough firepower in the air with uh, with Sabrina and, and Bella once they're up and going and even Shani Webb in that part of the ground. So we're comfortable that we'll have enough uh, options in the air. Um, but then again, at ground level, um, people like Jess Wushner and so forth, at ground level, Kate McCarthy, um, that was where we generated a lot of our scoring opportunities last year anyway. Uh, Brittany Gibson's the medium-sized one who plays a role in there as well, um, and often our midfield role through there is uh, that part of the ground as well. So, yeah, this, it's, it'll have a different look to it, but we still think we've got the aerial presence to um, to stretch the opposition. Now, of course, Craig, uh, you finished on uh, top of the table and made the grand final last year. How much do you think your experience as being the AFL Queensland High Performance Manager for a few years leading up to AFLW assisted you over the other coaches, particularly when it came to drafting and trying to find the best hidden talent, particularly in your own draft pool in Queensland? Um, yeah, I think initially that probably does give you a little bit of a head start, although I've seen the gap close extremely quickly in a short space of time with clubs being... Uh, really thorough and professional about um, you know who they go looking for and, and the amount of people they've added to their staff in terms of list managers and recruiters and so forth. So I think you know across the board um, we've all got better in that capacity. Um, our players are better, our physical preparations better, our recruiting's better. So um, hopefully that rolls out a an improved product year on year. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, you know, promoting Queensland talent. I think that's that's definitely um, a big part of my role to make sure that we get as many of those quality players through our system and through our footy club. Um, and at this stage, they've all played you know played a really good role in doing that. So we've got a new club coming on board in this in this neck of the woods in the next two years. And I guess um, you know our our great um, motivation at the moment is to not dilute the lines and make sure the suns are equally as strong. So um, that's, that's definitely, you know, something for all of us to consider going forward, um, is to have really, you know, two really strong women's teams in this, this part of the world. Saturday night, February 3rd, you're playing away. You're playing at Norwood Oval against the team that knocked you off in the grand final, the Adelaide Crows. Has much been said in the playing group about the grand final? Has anyone watched it back or is it a case of once it was done on grand final day, it's never to be spoken of again? No, no, we've we've reviewed it as we do all our games. So um, necessary to do that. Um, as it turns out, some of our key numbers on grand final day weren't that bad, but uh, the opposition were just better in a few few areas on that day. And and you know the, the time that we played Adelaide in the home and away games, that was a very tight result. Also, um, there's some ongoing trends that we need to address in certain parts of our game style. Um, so that's a bit of a work in progress, but. Yeah, no, you needed to look at that game and, um, you know, the, the, the girls are in, you know, eight games into their AFL careers. So every one of these opportunities is a learning one. And, um, you know, we take the lessons out of what happened that day. Uh, and if we're lucky enough to get back to that same opportunity, then, you know, hopefully they'll be better prepared the second time around. But honestly, this, uh, AFLW season's like an eight week final series, really. Every game's super important. Um, there's not much in it from first to eighth. Um, so, you know, every game's a, a critical one. So, 
Um, I dare say this this year will bring out an even better product uh, than the first year. I, I can I can see that already with the, the way clubs are rolling out players and who they've uh, who they've recruited and how they've prepared. And for the Lions fans, they have to be just that little bit more patient. I believe it's two and a half weeks away, uh, Sunday, Feb 11. You've got your first home game against the Western Bulldogs at South Pine. Yeah, we only get the three home games. That's the, the second year in a row that we've only had three in, in Queensland. So part of that's linked to not having a facility here to be able to uh, cater for a crowd of somewhere between five and 10,000. Um, but any other works in progress there to address that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, certainly something for our our fans to get excited about the first home game. I know, I know the players, um, you know, loving love having the home game, and and uh, most importantly, we play in Queensland conditions, and it can be pretty hot and humid at that time of the year um, up here, and uh, that's something that our players revel in. So, looking forward to uh, playing the Bulldogs on that uh, first home game. Well, Craig, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best throughout the second AFLW season. All right, thank you. Now, our next guest is not just a women's footballer, but a very talented singer-songwriter as well. Here's just a little snippet of her song, Weekend, which is available on Triple J Unearth. You're working late again with your pretty lady friend. The pepper, leave the salt, the spark in your eye went missing long ago. Pass the pepper, leave the salt. You know what I mean when I say the lipstick stained us all. So that's the song Weekend, and the artist, well, she's the captain of the Geelong VFL women's team. It's great to have on the line, Beck Goring. Beck, how are you? Great, thanks. How are you, Peter? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. Now, I'm going to step back in time a bit to uh, the beginning of the 2017 VFL women's season. As a player that's crossed over from Melbourne Uni to join the new Geelong Cats, what did it mean to you personally when you were voted in as captain? Oh, it was, I was so surprised, to be honest. Um, yeah, it seems like a while ago now, um, having played the whole season with Geelong. But, um, yeah, I sort of started down at Geelong at halfway through their pre-season last year. And, um, yeah, I couldn't believe it when the girls voted me in. It was a huge privilege. And, you know, I was just finding my feet in a new club and um, in a new team. And I guess everyone was in the same boat in some capacity. But, um, yeah, I was just stoked to take on the role and sort of, develop that aspect of my game. Is it a bit tougher to become a captain of a new side as opposed to, I guess, with teams that have been around for a while, it's almost like a passing on of the bat and the previous captain was still there and the old captain would have at least watched what the captain before did. Is it harder being the one that has to make the first pathway, so to speak? Um, I think it's probably not necessarily harder, but um, I'd consider it pretty fortunate in that, you know, I have the chance to the culture in the women's team that um, you know no one else, no one else has sort of started. So like John Footy Club are great in that they've a really strong set of values that um, both the men's team and the women's team um, measure themselves by um, in all facets of the game, whether that's on field or off field. So um, I guess as the first captain of the, the women's team, um, 
it's pretty unique in that, yeah, I can sort of, you know, take, build a culture that, um, with the help of, you know, the rest of the, um, the leadership team, um, you know, that's new and unique, um, but, you know, also aligned with the broader um, club values and that sort of thing. Uh, personally for you, how much did your training load change compared to being at an old VWFL club when you're at Melbourne Uni to now stepping into the AFLW environment uh, being at Geelong? Yeah, well, you would have seen the competition for female footy, it's just stepped up a whole notch at VFL level and at AFLW, um, which is really, really exciting. Um, and it's it's from from the time I played at Melbourne Uni, you know, we trained trained at a really great um, intensity there, and had some really great um, resources and coaches and that sort of thing. And um, being part of Geelong has just been that, but just to another level. So we've just got even more resources. Um, you've seen GMHBA Stadium down there is incredible, state of the art recovery facilities and that sort of thing. So. Um, it, it's fantastic because it just gives you the opportunity to take your playing to the next level and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I think we'll see that across the board with all all teams that are going to play in the VFL season um, in 2018, and then obviously the um, fastly approaching AFLW season this year. Of course, everyone wants to hope to get as high up in the ladder as they can. But were you even surprised to see that? Uh, at one stage, your side was only like a win or two out of possibly making the finals in your debut year. Yeah, we were pretty close. Um, it, it was a little bit disappointing, to, well, really disappointing to miss out on finals. Um, and it's something that um, we definitely have our, our sights set on for this coming season. Um, we're, we're fortunate in that the Geelong um, AFLW team that we joined in 2019, we've got a full year to sort of do our homework, do our studies and... Um, you know, see what the tactics of the other teams are and um, make sure we're ready for the opposition when when we get our chance to jump in the AFLW. Is there a different feeling around the camp this year because of that fact that Geelong now have that AFLW licence? The first training for AFLW will commence probably sometime in October. Is, that, is there that different feeling that, oh my goodness, if I impress in front of Paul Hood and the current coaching staff, I may get a spot on that list? Yeah, well, that, that's sort of what we've all got our sights set on. Me, personally, I'd love to play for Geelong in the AFLW. Um, and, you know, I, but I'm taking sort of one step at a time, and that starts at VFL um, this year, just playing really good footy um, week in and week out really consistently. And, um, as I said earlier, playing to the club values um, because that's how the coaches measure our performance and that's how we measure our performance and hold each, hold each other to account, so... Yeah, just one step at a time. Particularly in this professional environment, players now have exit interviews. For yourself, what was the review for you on 2017 and, and what things would they like to see improved in 2018? Um, just in a on, on-field sort of Just sense, in the on-field sense. Um, pretty much uh, all, all aspects of um, defending, really. So I'm sort of the anchor down there, down back for our, um, for our team. So... You know, communication is always a big, big thing down back. You know, you can't really play as an individual. Um, it's so much more effective to um, be really connected in the way we defend. So, um, sort of improving that aspect of my game and fitness and um, agility is always a big one for me. So, um, I've been working really hard on that in this preseason. So, um, ready to 
continue to run laps for a few more months and then um, start the season in May. It's pretty good. Before Christmas, you had a trial day uh, similar to last year for women that want to get on a VFLW list with the Cats. Um, what was your initial impression of those that have tried out and uh, has there been any diamonds in the rough that you've managed to discover so far? Yeah, we've got a couple of little gems that have joined our squad, which which is wonderful. Um, a lot of local girls from the Geelong region, which is fantastic. Um, they've jumped over from um, netball or basketball um, and have been quite successful in those sports in their own right. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to see what they bring to our game and um, what they bring to our team. Um, I could name a few of them, but I, I don't want to pick too many favourites just yet. Um, because we've we've got some list management coming up, um, which is just part of um, how it goes. But um, yeah, exciting exciting things happening down in Geelong region, and yeah, it's really good. I've had a look at the fixture, and in the midst of a cold winter in July, you're to jump on a plane and head up to Darwin to take on the Northern Territory. What's your thoughts on uh, heading up north to play some VFLW football? I am so pumped. That'll be an awesome game. It'll be an absolute relief getting in that hot weather. Um, it's an awesome opportunity. I was I was so stoked to um, read that when the fixture came out. I think it's so good for VFL footy and women's footy and like it's it's every, everything. It's so so cool. It'll be good to have a break from this horrid winter. Victorian weather. I'm very much a summer person, so I'm looking forward to that game. That's definitely highlighted in the diary. And also on the fixture, it's shown as well that you will be playing a few double headers. I think maybe one with an AFL game, but at least a couple with the VFL men's. Uh, you will be playing on GMHBA Stadium, and I think even one under lights. Um, what does that mean for the group to be, I guess, in a way, upgraded from being outside in St Mary's Oval now to being on the main stadium? Yeah, I think for for our um, Geelong BFL women's team, it just shows that the club are backing us and um, that they they just see it. You know, you wear, you wear the hoops, you wear the jumper, and it's no different to the men. So um, being on the sort of centre stage, I guess you could say, um, it means a lot to us and it shows that the club support us and, um, you know, we'll, we'll play our best footy on that game, as we will um, in every other round. But... Um, yeah, that'll be a really special night for the club and for the girls. Um, we played our first game there last season, which was like the vibe there was fantastic. So that, that'll definitely be a highlight um, from this approaching season. And just before I go, coming up in round one of uh, AFLW, it's Melbourne and the Giants at Casey Fields. Now, the Melbourne side, you've got obviously uh, Lily Mithin, Rochelle Cranston, Erin uh, Hoare, Anna Teague, a number of Geelong players. But you've also got Matty Boyd playing at GWS. Where are your loyalties going to lie in this game? Oh, we're just, we'll cheer them all on. I think it's <laughs> such a big win that those girls are getting that opportunity to um, play play that, that standard of footy. So, yeah, we'll um, probably all have their badges um, decorated all over our um, clothing, so that'll be good. I'm going to watch those girls tear it up. And one last one before we go, Beck. Of course, uh, many may not know that you're a singer-songwriter, uh, particularly been studying at the VCA, and you've got a couple of tracks up as well on the uh, uh, Triple J uh, Unearth site. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, they're, they're up there. So I've got a single that I released last year called Weekend. So that's up on SoundCloud and I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's up on Triple J on Earth as well. It's 
anyone anyone wants to have a listen, they're more than welcome. But um, yeah, hitting the studio soon, so going to have some new music to release, um, probably just at the end of pre-season, um, if that speaks a little bit more um, to the footy people out there. So it should be good. You're listening to Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne and available via the RSN Racing and Sport app and on podcasts via Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. I'm Peter Holden. Time to head to Ireland, home of the IC17 Women's Champions, to talk about the new Australian Rules Football League Ireland Women's Super Sevens competition. And I've got on the line to explain it all, Michael Curran. Michael, how are you? Very good, Peter. Appreciate the call. Lovely to speak to you. How does it feel to be living in the home of the reigning IC17 Women's Champions? Oh, it's very good. Yeah, we're we're still enjoying that one. Um, it's been a few months now, but um, we're back home. It was a great uh, trip in Australia, and it was brilliant to win the IC. You play at the Etihad Stadium in a great grand final against Canada. So our girls were absolutely chuffed. Yeah, delighted. So on the back of that, and then after that, obviously you had a, a Euro Cup tournament. You've developed the ARFLI Women's Super Sevens competition. Uh, I believe you actually started off with a, like a trial or carnival day last year. Yeah, so really what happened, Peter, was when we came back from uh, Melbourne, we had one more competition in, in the season, and that was the Euros, uh, which is the AFL Europe nine-side international competition. And that was held in Bordeaux in France. So we went and played that. We got to the final in that and went down to a brilliant England team on the day. But it was a great tournament all around. But really, I suppose after that tournament, then there was a bit of a, a changing of the guard in terms of, of women's footy here. Um, Pat Levy, who had looked after the Irish Banshees for maybe six or seven years, retired and handed over the reins to myself and at that time, I suppose, as well as being a kind of a changing of the guard, there was an opportunity to start afresh or to change things up a bit. So really, we looked at it and we stripped it right back to basics. And that's where Arfly W or Arfly Women's um, came from. Myself working with Olivia McCann, who was the Arfly uh, vice president at the time and also an Irish Banshees player. Uh, we said about launching Arfly W. So we actually had... Uh, we came up with a bit of a plan, a bit of a strategy as to how we wanted to do things over the next three years. We're kind of looking at a three-year cycle up to IC 2020 again. Uh, hopefully, we'll all be around for that. And um, we, did, we divided the country up into strategic regions. We appointed uh, a rep in each region. And basically, we kind of simultaneously formed six or seven new teams at once. Um, the idea was that we we're going to start off in a sevens format to try and get people introduced to the game, get new people involved, get participation up and get women playing as much football as possible. So that's what led to our initial event, which was the Arfly W Draft Cup, and that was held back in November. So with a, a few weeks prep and a bit of promo, and um, we actually ended up having eight teams playing on that first day, which was outstanding. We had a great day's footy. It was, it was cold, it wasn't wet back in November. And uh, we ended up one of the new teams actually winning that competition. So it was a huge success. So you've come now to January and a brand new Super 7s competition. You managed to kick off last weekend with five teams. Yeah. So what we did then, we, we tried to keep that momentum going and come up with a plan for this season. So what we've decided is we're having a Super 7s uh, league, basically, which is a seven-a-side league that's going to run over possibly three or four carnivals and take us up to the end of April, start of May. 
it's designed again purely as a, a, a taster competition. So we're trying to get new teams involved all the time. We had five teams playing on Saturday up in Dublin. There's already potentially another two or three teams that we're hoping to get in on round two. Um, so the idea is that we'll run for a few carnivals, we'll play sevens, it'll get people involved. It's a, a way to come down, try out the sport, join a new team, make some new friends. And then later on in the year, we're hoping to develop that into a premiership competition where we will have three to four teams and that will take us up to the international games at the end of the year as well then. Now, the five teams that took part in round one, Dublin Angels, the UCC Crusaders, Northeast Kookaburras, Portadown Power and uh, West Clare Waves, as you said, essentially it's from teams that have been divided up into regions. Uh, traditionally feeding, for example, the, the, the Banshees over the past few tournaments, what has been the strongest region for finding AFLW footballers in Ireland? Well, up to now, it would, it would have traditionally been the cities and mainly the Belfast, Dublin areas. There wouldn't have been much in terms of um, recruitment or activity in terms of leagues, games in any of the other regions. And that was one of the main areas that we focused on was to try and develop all these areas and get people playing that mightn't have been playing previously. So before it would have been Dublin and Belfast. And as part of the the new regions, we've identified the the, the pre-existing team names there and we've, we've relaunched those teams. But then we've also relaunched all these new teams in all these regional areas to try and get a good spread of teams around the country. So theoretically, anybody that wants to play, there shouldn't be more than an hour away from their nearest team. And with the sevens format as well, it's it's a lot easier to get people involved. If a group of girls from a, a GA team or from a rugby team or from soccer or whatever want to come and try it out, they just need to get a few friends together. They can come down as individuals or as a group of four, five, six, seven girls. We'll club them into teams and participate on the day. It's all about participation and getting girls playing footy, literally. I noticed uh, one of the Banshees' names getting in the best players, Colleen Quinn, uh, with the Northeast Kookaburras. Um, and what's the mix has been like between, I guess, uh, Banshees players playing in this tournament to new players that have just taken up the game? Yeah, there, there's a there's a, a, a balance between both. One of the teams, the Kookaburras, actually has a lot of Banshees from Melbourne, from IC17. So they're really the team to beat, I think, in the Super 7s. Uh, I think they had six on Saturday of Banshee players. Other than that, the Dublin Angels would have two. Uh, Portadown Power would have two. UCC Crusaders would have one. And West Air Waves would have n- none. So it's a bit top-heavy towards the Kookaburras at the minute. But with all these new players coming through, there's going to be some serious competition and, and some cracking games coming up, I think. With the sevens format, uh, is it being played on a rectangle field, something similar to what we're going to experience here in Australia um, next month being the AFLX? Yes, uh, exactly, Peter. So what we've done is we're we're playing on rugby fields, essentially, which is like a small rectangular ground. Um, again, the basis of that is that it's easier to access these, gro- uh, access these grounds in various different areas. So effectively, yeah, we're playing on a rugby pitch. With rugby goals, we're sticking up behind posts. We're playing a, a shortened seven-style format, so it's it's designed to be a fast game, not too different to AFLX in terms of um, there's uh, kick-ins from boundaries at all times. And the, idea, the, the idea is to move the play on as quickly as possible. So it, it's And with only seven players on each team, it is um, serving up some cracking, exciting, fast-paced football as well, which is great to see. 
And I believe you've got the fixture set out that'll be three rounds and then a fourth round or final to end things off. One of the plans, uh, I guess, post uh, April, I think if I'm correct in April, there's actually uh, the uh, AFL European Champions League being on. Is there uh, hopes to send a, an Irish team there? Yes, yeah. So the Champions League is on in Amsterdam on the 7th of April and the West Care Waves, one of the new teams on the basis of winning the RFLIW Draft Cup back in November have been entered in that. So they are formally going to the competition. So we will have an Irish team at Champions League for the first time, which again is a, is a huge boost to us and we're delighted to see that. So um, they'll definitely be going on April and further to that then we're going to look at depending on how many players we get up to in our player pool, how many teams we've active, possibly combining some of the sevens teams to create premiership teams. And we'll go on and play a, a 14, a 12 or 14 aside competition over the summer, depending on what players and numbers are available and right up to having a grand final the same time that you guys have a grand final down there, hopefully. Certainly an exciting time, isn't it, for women's football there in Ireland and throughout Greater Europe. In fact, uh, just today online, I discovered they're trying to push ahead with a women's competition now in Germany. Yes, yeah, we, we've just seen that as well. Lisa Wilson is doing unbelievable work over there. She's moved over to Germany from um, London and already has got things off the ground over there. So, yeah, it's very exciting. I'm involved at AFL Europe level as well. So, not only are we trying to do things here at home in Ireland in terms of footy, but we're trying to work to promote women's footy and grow women's footy across the continent. And there's definitely strong improvements in uh, loads of areas, particularly the likes of France. We'll have Germany coming on. England have improved hugely. Scotland, Wales. Um, there's going to be eight teams, I think, in the Champions League. And then we've got the Euros coming up, the European nine sides again in October. So hopefully we'll have maybe eight to ten women's teams in that. So it's all very positive, absolutely. I think the, the obviously the interest in AFLW has um, helped in terms of growing awareness of the game. And I know we're certainly looking forward to the season kicking off here at home. I know it, it starts on Friday the 2nd with Carlton Collingwood, but I think the big game we're watching here is Giants versus Demons on Saturday at Casey Fields. And hopefully two of our Irish girls might actually be manning up on each other that day. So that would be a cracker altogether. And just on that as well, um, Cora Stoughton did very well, kicking two goals in the practice game for the GWS Giants against the Lions. What would it mean for women's football, that's Australian football, in Ireland, should Cora Stoughton end up becoming a star, or at least uh, on the same level as we've seen Laura Jurea have a fantastic year last year at Melbourne? Oh, it would be absolutely huge, Peter. I mean, Cora is a legend here as it is before she ever went over there she's a superstar she's been playing top level uh, since she was 14 years old so it's already uh, garnered huge publicity here the fact that she's actually um traveled over at all so anything else she does is a bonus but we saw on saturday she's going to be more than capable and i think she's going to make a mark on on this competition um we were actually messaging cora on saturday after a game just to to say well done and uh, we saw that she was complaining about the sun and, and being sunburned so uh, we were telling her we were heading to Dublin in, in snow and ice and hail. So I think she's definitely going to enjoy that element of footy. But yeah, all jokes aside, I think um, it's already huge for us here. And if Cora can make a mark, which I have no doubt that she will, the likes of herself and Laura Cargan, who, who's actually played with uh, the Banshees and is an integral part of our team, that's huge for us. Absolutely huge. Yeah, And the girls are very supportive of what we're doing here as well. 
Well, the next round of the Super 7s uh, in Ireland is set for for Saturday the 24th of February at the Midlands. Is the ground and facilities big enough to take on more teams? Because that'll be four weeks into the AFLW season and should Cora catch fire and publicity surrounding her um, take through Ireland, are you expected for more and more women to sign up and say, I'd like to play too? Absolutely, yeah. Look, that's that's what we're about, and we're we're, we're going to take advantage of that publicity and that awareness while it's there. So, any girls that want to play, be it individual girls or anyone that wants to bring a few people or even bring a team, that's what the sevens is all about. It's a taster competition. It's about participating. We have the facilities to, because we're playing on rugby pitches. Um, if the team numbers increase, that's not going to be an issue. We're just going to increase the number of pitches we'll have running on the day. It's all it is is a bit more management and logistics for us, but that's a headache we'd be absolutely delighted to have to deal with. You know, it's one, spread the word. We want girls playing footy in Ireland. And Michael, just before I let you go, again, if people would like to follow the Australian Rules Football League Ireland women's competition and the Super 7s, how can they go about that? The best way, Pete, is probably our Facebook page at the minute, which is Arfly Women's. So A-R-F-L-I for Australian Rules Football League of Ireland Women's. Uh, we also have Twitter account and Insta account in the same name, but the uh, Facebook page is probably the main go-to point. Arfly Women's, get on there, give it a like, follow us, see what we're doing, and all the various club pages will be linked from that as well. So that'll give you a good overview of everything that's happening with us here. And that's the place to, to start, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of the Super 7 season. Brilliant, Peter. Thanks for having us. And we'd be happy, myself and Olivia, to come back on to you there in a few weeks and have a chat with you again and see how it's all going. All eight AFLW teams took part in practice matches over the weekend. Their only hit out until round one of the AFL Women's Competition for 2018. Myself and Matthew Cox were at Mars Stadium in Ballarat on Saturday night to call the Bulldogs and Carlton. And on Friday night, we were at Olympic Park Oval to call Collingwood and Melbourne. And Coxie, just a general comment first about the Olympic Park Oval game. Seemed to be down on last year. The crowd was probably about, if I recall, 1,000 to 1,500. Only six, seven, eight hundred or so at Olympic Park Oval on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, if that. It took them a while to come in, too. I think it was not until quarter time that we got a few more people around the ground. And a little bit disappointing, but I suppose at the end of the day, it was a practice match. It was following a 42-degree day in, in Melbourne, so not many people would have wanted to have ventured out after the hot day. Um, yeah, I think to, the, the crowd we got was sufficient enough. Um, they provided a, a pretty good atmosphere um, for, for a game that... Definitely was high in intensity in the in the first half. Dropped away a bit when Melbourne took out some of their stars in the second half. But um, all all in all, a, a good a good match and a, a good vibe going around the ground. But not as good as the Ballarat game, which we'll we'll get to in a moment. They were playing twenty minute quarters in that game. Let's just kick off with I guess the bad news right off the top. That was for Darcy Guttridge and her injury with literally two minutes to go in the game. Yeah, that uh, heartbreaking, wasn't it? it occurred almost directly in front of where we were broadcasting from. And uh, as soon as she got tackled and uh, she was flat on her back on the ground, you thought, oh, you just hope something serious hasn't happened. And then when they were attending to her, to her neck region, we, we couldn't see um, exactly what they were doing or what they were probing. But when you could see that they were playing around with the neck, you just thought, oh, 
God, hopefully she hasn't landed awkwardly on, on her neck or anything in the tackle that was applied. And uh, when when she sat forward, just the pain, the excruciating pain on her face, um, you just knew then this sinking feeling that that was done. That uh, I even I've, I've seen reports suggesting that she might be available for the for the second half of the season, depending on where Collingwood uh, end up on the ladder. But you just think with someone with such a bright future ahead, why risk um, trying to get her up for for a couple of games later on in the season? Um, and you, you knew that when she was getting to her feet, you just knew that um, 2018 was done and dusted for her, which was incredibly disappointing because she was one of the bright sparks in the second half for Collingwood. They had a very dysfunctional line in the first half. I made the comment during the call, I just think they're too tall. They don't have enough agility uh, inside attacking 50, and they changed that up in the second half. And she was one of the players that really provided them with that that lift and burst. And in that passage of play where she got the injury, she she was about 20 metres in front of everyone until she tried to start juggling the ball and then the, the Melbourne players came in and, and tackled her. So it really heartbreaking in a way, especially just just the facial expression on her face when, um, when she got up from the incident. Um, it, it really does um, make it make you sad for her um, but know that there is a bright future ahead of her if she can get back to that form in 2019. Now of course to listeners they might find a bit weird that shortly we might be a bit more critical of Melbourne despite Collingwood winning the game by three points but Coxie we do have to point out that there was a four goal lead to Melbourne at half time that's when they had their A graders on the park and then into the third quarter virtually most of their stars they just put on the bench put on ice job done for them. Yeah, we didn't see Melissa Hickey um, in the second half. We didn't see Karen Paxman in the second half. I think I briefly saw Daisy Pierce at the start of the third quarter, but then she was taken to the bench as well. So all that experience taken from the ground and gave an opportunity for the the B team, if you can call them that, for their for their midfield rotations to get a bit of time together and, and to learn the ropes, not under huge intensity, I think, all that intent was there in, in the first half, and it was from the word go when you when you had Paxman O'Day, uh, sorry Paxman Pierce and Hickey go into the middle for the first bounce. You thought, oh, geez, they're not they're not um, they're not being careful, or not wrapping players up in cotton wool. They're going full ball for this, and they really did, um, especially in the second term. Collingwood didn't score in the in the second term. Melbourne was able to put on three goals for. Um, and that's where the, the damage was done. And then, as you said, it was almost like a tap. They turned it off. They, they changed a few things around on ground. Um, Cunningham, who kicked three goals in the first half, was sighted down back in the second half. So they were just trying to test the, the versatility of the side. So you can't read too much into the fact that they were overrun by Collingwood. Um, but at the same time, it does create a question if, they do lose those midfield stars. Are they as good of a side as everyone thinks? Well, coming up soon on girlsplayfooty.com will be our uh, previews of each and every team as we head into this second season. Um, all of us from Girls Play Footy making comments. I've made one uh, for Melbourne where I've called uh, Aliso Day, Melissa Hickey, Karen Paxman, Daisy Pierce as the Darabin midfield mafia uh, for Melbourne. But as I said, the most if you weren't mesmerised by them or intimidated by them last year, just think 
the damage they can do now when they go forward and they have this new young tall target in Tegan Cunningham for them to zero in on. I oh, she she for by far she was the the best on ground for me on Friday night. She provided them not only with a marking target up forward, but also a presence. And it also meant that Mifsid could play a little different of a role and freed up Phillips as well when um, she was on the park. So it allowed the the forward forward line to function a little differently that's the way it was trying to be used last season. And um, she's going to be fantastic. She um, She's a great kick. Um, I think she kicked a goal from about 40 metres out at one point. Um, so no dramas there. She's, uh, she's accurate. And as I said before, she provides a real presence inside attacking 50 for, for Melbourne, which makes them even more of a threat than what we thought they might be in, in 2018. And also as well, um, if we look at the Collingwood team, Eliza Hines went into the ruck instead of Emma King. Emma King only pinch hit, pinch hit once or twice and um, a couple of times was in the forward line, but otherwise unsighted, virtually just protecting her being their number one key asset. Meg Hutchins was down in the forward line. Some were shocked to see that, but she was a forward many years ago before becoming a defender. Chloe Malloy was at centre-half back, so quite a few players jumbled up. Mo Hope got a quick run through the midfield before going forward. Um, what I'll write for the Collingwood preview, which will be coming out soon, is... I believe Collingwood are a bit like a Rubik's Cube. The problem is when you finally get one row sorted out of how it should be, the rest kind of looks like a mess. They've got all these great individual players, but trying to put them in the right combination as a team seems to be very difficult to do. Yeah, and I I stand by my statement I made heading into last season that I think Collingwood have got the best spine in the competition. Still think they've got the best spine. Um, they've got all these tall, talented players that are in this side that can each uh, produce individual pieces of magic. But it's, as you say, just getting them to all click and all get into a rhythm. Even in the, the third quarter of Friday night's game, they had the ball and they trapped it in the forward half of their ground, even inside attacking 50, I think, for a good three or four-minute period. And they just couldn't do anything with it. They, they would, you know, hoping kicks away from the contest that get numbers around the ball, which meant it, congested things up and they just couldn't get anything going and then finally they got a bit of movement and a bit of freedom they got a couple of goals and it just it seemed to smooth things over it wasn't as rough or as clunky as what it had been for the two and a half quarters prior to that so it's a it's a very um I don't know. I think Wayne Seekerman's got um, a few question marks heading into to round one to, to get this side firing not because they're not talented or not because they're not good footballers it's to get them all moving in in the right direction and finding a way especially inside attacking 50 for all those talented players to work together on saturday morning uh, the gws giants beat the brisbane lions in a match where they played five 15 minute pardon me five 15 minute periods See, I'm not used to saying five 15-minute periods because we're used to four quarters. Um, the Giants 12-4-76 over Brisbane 4-2-26. Most of the blowout coming in that uh, fifth period where it was uh, 5-1 to zip. But interesting to note, out of the 12 goals kicked for GWS, seven of the goals were from players who didn't play for them last year. That is, new recruits Courtney Gum and Cora Staughton, who kicked two goals each. Singles to Beck Previtali and Alicia Eva. 
and one also to Renee Fourth, who of course was on their list but missed last year with a knee injury. Yeah, and just goes to show how important it is that you get a few experienced players around the ball. Um, I see Phoebe McWilliams popped up with two goals as well. So encouraging signs for the Giants after what was a disappointing first season. They got, they got uh, was it one one win um, against Melbourne um, and a draw and against got, uh, a Fremantle. Fremantle, that's right. Um, encouraging signs on the weekend, the fact that they could score a bit freer, of course, it is a practice match, so read into it what you will, particularly if Brisbane were were resting a few players, which we think they might have been um, for extended periods. Uh, But but all all encouraging signs. It's nice to see that GWS went for that more experience. We we know that the New South Wales talent pool and, and depth within that isn't as strong as it is in other states, um, and you know some some footballers that play VFL women's uh, here in Melbourne, for them to go up and to to part a bit of knowledge on um, to the players up there, I think is important and will only benefit the Giants long term. Um, I don't think there'd be a, a finals chance or anything like that this year, but certainly having some more experienced heads around the place will certainly help them going forward. We went to Ballarat to call for the Girls Play Footy Facebook page, the Western Bulldogs and Carlton game. Now, Carlton did come away with the victory, 8-8-56 to 6-3-40. And you'd think maybe the headline would be Darcy Vessio kicking three goals or Taylor Harris with her 55-metre roost in the first minute of the game to kick a goal. But I think it's safe to say Astor's back, back again. Tell her friend, Astor's back. <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly tell everyone out there that you know that she is back to a very aggressive, um, I think you said arrogant on the weekend, um, in a good way. Um, yeah, it, it was good to see her in full flight. We'd obviously seen her a little bit for Darabin last year in the VFL women's, and yeah, she was good. Um, she contributed to the side, but it just wasn't the Astro Connor that. We remember seeing prior to that knee injury that's plagued her for, I think, the last two to three years. Um, it's really hampered her um, in, in the twilight, I suppose, of her career. Um, but, boy, she turned the clock back on uh, on Saturday night and, and put on a great performance, not just not just in defence where she was m- most of last year in the state league competition. She rucked uh, most of the night on, on Saturday night um, and just provided a presence around the ground, and it was really, really entertaining to watch her go about her business. And I think show a few players a thing or two about playing football. Isabel Huntington played most of the first half, kicked a goal, and had a style very reminiscent of Katie Brennan. Yeah, and you raised the question, how will they fit into the the same side? And I think that's a conundrum that, is, is a good one for the Western Bulldogs to have, particularly after the, the injury to, to Brennan, which ruled her out of the, the 20, or most of the 2017 season. To have that up uh, key forward will be important, but you want to hope that they've been working over the summer on developing some sort of a, a relationship so that they don't run in each other's way or, or take the ball of each other every time it comes towards the top of the 50-metre arc. 
And I think you'd, you'd more want to use them around that 50-metre rack. You don't want to use them close to goal. I mean, we saw what Huntington could do uh, at centre-half forward on, on Saturday night. So you don't want them too close to goal because that's going to restrict either of them, which makes it uh, very interesting to see how it all unfold when Katie Brennan returns to the side. Interesting to note that missing out of the Bulldog side that day were Katie Brennan through a virus, cricket commitments for Emma Carney, even though she was doing the running uh, because she had to play cricket on Friday and Sunday. They rested her. Uh, Monique Conti, who was playing basketball up in Townsville, was missing. Also missing Lauren Spark, uh, Elise Gamble, uh, McLeod, if I'm right, Stryon Mary, a couple of notes at the top of my head, and Kimberly Ebb. So a number of players uh, out of the Bulldog side missing. They had to bring in six VWFL players just to try and um, cover the numbers, essentially. Some of them did fairly well, um, including, I think, Davies and Jolly, which held up okay. But I guess for the Bulldogs, they can walk away from that knowing they're missing some of their frontline players. And they hung pretty tough with Carlton, who were almost full strength. Yeah, I think I think there's more positives um, to come out of the match for the Western Bulldogs, considering they were missing... Well, more than half a dozen players. I don't think they're full. Um, or even though they had those six players missing, there are still a couple of others that I don't think made the park either on Saturday night. And I think there's a. Not only is that a good thing that they've got all the talent to come back into the side to to strengthen them up, but the other thing is that their structures must be real well rehearsed and, and the way that they want to play football. Because to hold on to, as you said, a nearly full strength Carlton on Saturday night. Um, was was quite impressive considering that it was so um, many young players, players that haven't problem haven't probably been training with the Western Bulldogs um, for the last month or so. For them to to enter the side and and to have the impact that they did, yes, it was only minor. But when you you're up against a, a side that's basically been training for the last two to three months, who know each other really really well, to be able to hold them down. Having said that. I think Carlton may have only been going at 75%. I don't think we saw the full-on Carlton um, out on on Mars Stadium, Um, but it was nice to see Taylor Harris. She was definitely up and about early on. Her second efforts, I think, were the thing that stood out for me. The, The fact that she was chasing, she was tackling, and she was constantly applying pressure is a good sign for her uh, in her debut outing at uh, for Carlton. But I think apart from all the, the on-field performance, the thing that got me the most with that practice game, Pete, and I think you'll agree with me on this, was the fact that there was a big crowd and a great atmosphere at Mars Stadium on Saturday night. I still can't get over the fact that there was around 3,000 people um, at the ground to watch a practice match. Forget that it's AFLW or AFL. The fact that it was a practice match on a Saturday night, warmish night in Ballarat, and we got 3,000 people there was absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, despite it being a practice match, it's certainly one of the more memorable matches that I've broadcasted. And I take my hat off to the Bulldogs as well. Just to put it in contrast, when we were at Olympic Park to call the Collingwood game, there was nothing special happening on. Um, there was no. In fact, there was complaints on Big Footy uh, afterwards by some spectators that there was no. There was only one toilet and there was no food for sale because the venue had been booked out by the Australian Open. And they said, you know, it was just come up, watch the game, and then nick off. That was essentially what happened. Uh, at Ballarat, you had a bunch of food trucks going. We joked that they were talking about a Palmer and a pot special before the game, trying to flog that, but they had Sean Kelly on the mic, doing the PA stuff, playing the music, putting videos on the screen, and, and most importantly, 
a video that they had pre-game was talking with their number one draft pick. So for the supporters, it was get to know our number one draft pick in Izzy Huntington. I thought it was very well presented. And I think they did a fantastic job, the Bulldogs and the city of Ballarat overall, in hosting that practice match. They they did. They they really need to be commended for doing that because it was free entry. Um, and they did put – it looked like they'd put a bit of investment behind it, which, for as I said before, for a practice game, you know, I've been to, to practice games at local footies and, you know, the canteen hasn't been open. You've got two men and a dog watching in a, in a park. For, for them to have an event like that, um, I think just really meant it and, and builds a bit of momentum. It gives me a little optimism heading into season two that, you know, there is that interest out there. I mean, we know that it's popular um, after the success that we had in AFL uh, W1. But I, I think I've been a little um, nervous heading into season two, whether it was just because it's all up in, in light season one and it's fantastic that we finally got it. Now that we're getting into season two and, um, you know, things are a little more normalised, I think might be the appropriate term to use and the fact that it's just part of the season now rather than this big uh, thing that we're building up to. I was nervous that it might not have the following um, that it did in season one, not from people that are necessarily involved in women's football, but from those on the, the peripheral that are your more general football supporters. I think from uh, Saturday night, I'm, I'm at ease because um, there were plenty of people there. There were plenty of people in there. Bulldogs merchandise, there were a few blues, um, Guernseys wandering around the ground as well, which um, it makes me really excited, the fact that this is now football and well, it's always been football, but we're, we're there to watch the game and uh, be a part of the game rather than just be a part of history, which season one was all about. So really excited about uh, what's coming up uh, in season two. And just finally, Frio and uh, the Adelaide Crows met in Darwin. They played four 15-minute quarters in 28-degree heat and a ridiculous 87% humidity. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't go up there for that one. I was struggling enough on Friday night. Um, and and to the, the lowest scoring game um, of all four matches, um, I think, which you can forgive, considering the the ball might have been a little bit sloppy too with the the conditions up there. But um, yeah, free I think a lot of people expected big things from them last year. They didn't get that necessarily. Um, we look towards this season. They've got to do something. Um, they've got some talent there. They've got Michelle Cowan, um, head of the ship, very experienced coach. So you hope. Um, that they can turn things around in, in season two. Adelaide, the defending premiers of the competition, I think they were just out there to get a bit bit of match conditioning. They wouldn't wouldn't be putting. Yeah, indeed. Because if you look stars. at it, if you look at it, um, they were without Erin Phillips, Sarah Perkins, or Chelsea Randall. They were all being uh, rested. Um, the usual standouts there for them, including uh, standing captain uh, Ange Foley, Ebony Marinoff, uh, Courtney Crammy, uh, uh, relishing the opportunity to be on the ball 
um, obviously because of uh, Phillips and Randall being uh, rested. Uh, good to see for Adelaide the goal kickers of Ruth Wallace and Rianne Lug, their new recruits that they've picked up. Freo will be very absolutely happy with the uh, output of Stacey Barr kicking three goals. And young Indigenous talent Emily Maguire also getting on the scoreboard. Big raps as well across uh, her back for uh, Evangeline Gooch was also one of their other uh, draftees that they picked up. So both sides do walk away from that game with some positives. Yeah, they certainly do. And considering the heat, considering the humidity, I think they both would have been happy that no major issues or injuries have, have come out of that game. But I'll just the, the other point I'll quickly raise, uh, and it's to do with the, the comment I made before about it being the, the lowest score uh, in that match between the Dockers and Crows. The one thing that I have noticed across the two games that we broadcasted, Pete, was the, the kicking and the decision-making has definitely improved. Um, and that's not off the back of AFLW1, but off the back of the grand final of the VFLW last year. You, you can see that the standard has increased, even from the players that were probably bordering on elite or the above-average type players. They've, they've now got that ability of what the elite players had in Season 1. Um, which I think is going to make the standard of football a hell of a lot better in season two. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to catching up with you throughout 2018. Yeah, looking forward to a, to a big year, Pete. And that wraps up Girls Play Footy for yet another week. Don't forget, we air on RSN Carnival Digital Radio Wednesday evenings at 6pm, and then we're available as a podcast on Thursday mornings via Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company and bye for now.